Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 155 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as The Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations for you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you're in the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon, starting at $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, $5, receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find out more at www.patreon.com slash observersnotebook. To join the ALPO, membership begins at $18 a year. You can find us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this Facebook, this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, episode 155 with Bob Lunsford, and we're talking meteor showers. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast, and we're going to talk meteors. We just did it a few uh, weeks ago, but we're talking again. We've got some more meteor showers coming up, and that means, of course, Bob Lunsford's coming on. Welcome back to the podcast, Bob. Thank you, Tim. Of course, it is meteor season. Uh, the last quarter of the year is the best time for the for observers in the northern hemisphere to, to see these shooting stars. And uh, we are here to discuss the late fall act activity, concentrating on the geminids, of course. Mm -hmm. They are usually the highlight of the year. And they have to happen in the cold month. Well, and well, I was going to say in uh, early in the morning. Well, you can also see the gym and it's all night long, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty chilly out there. Mm -hmm. um, the Geminids have, have usually been limited to a week or so in mid December, but to, we've, we've used video techniques to, to follow the Geminids now. And we've found out that they actually start in mid November and they were actually given another name before we figured out that they were all one the same shower. They were mm. called the Theta Arigids oh. because, because they started uh, in November when the, when the radiant is actually in Ariga. Now, that was, you know, no big discovery because at that time, they only produced one or two an hour uh, at the very most. So, uh, but it's interesting to follow these, these meteors because, uh, you know, what we once thought was active only on a few nights are now active for 
weeks and some of months. And you said we've discovered this through video? Yeah. If you have two or more videos that can triangulate, uh, we, we can de determine an orbit for these uh, meteors. And through that, we discovered that the Theta Aurigas were, in fact, have the same source as the, the Geminids, the, the, uh, hmm. the asteroid. Uh, okay. What's the name of the asteroid? Um, Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. The first one that was uh, related to the asteroid. By golly, I'll think of it. Don't worry. Okay. But but it was the first one associated with any asteroid. Before then, all uh, all meteor showers were thought to be produced by uh, by comets. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, the Geminids now can be seen. Well, like I said, from mid-November all the way almost to Christmas time. So uh, they have a long activity profile. And they peak on the night of December 13th, 14th, when we pass closest to the, uh, the uh, core of the orbit. Now, unfortunately, on that night, the moon will be... A, a waning gibbous, <laughs> which uh, is not the best uh, opportunity to view under because the, right. mo the moon will be really bright. It will rise about 10 o'clock and it will uh, obscure a lot of the fainter meteors. And the Geminis but, are fairly bright, though, aren't they? Yeah, that, I was going to get to that point. They are bright and Still, you should be able to see when the, when the Geminid radiant gets high in the sky, which is between midnight and 2 a.m., you still should be able to see with the moon. I would say even 20 an hour uh, if, if you're looking away from the moon. And if you go by that 20 an hour, you should be able, you will be able to see um Sorry, I lost my, tra my train of thought there. What I was going to say is at 20 an hour, that is better than 95% of the other nights hmm. uh, of, of the year. So even with the moonlight, I think we made this point during the Perseids because the Perseids coincided with a full moon. Right. That still, even the Perseids or the Geminids, if they coincide with a bright moon, they still produce enough activity to make it worthwhile to go out. Okay. So, what so, are the characteristics of the shower? The the Geminid meteors they intersect us on a perpendicular path, which means their mediums velocity. Okay. Uh, the the radiant is very close to the bright star Castor, which uh, rises at sundown and sets it <laughs> and sets very uh, very late in the morning so uh in fact it sets after sundown uh, sun sunrise i should say so it's in basically in the sky all night long okay so these meteors can be seen all night long in fact with the moon rising at 10 p.m that might be a great opportunity to see some evening activity um as soon as it gets dark, you may be able to see some Earth grazers from Ooh. the Geminids, especially on that evening of December 13th, 14th. Okay, now describe to our audience what you mean by Earth grazer. Okay, these are meteors that just skim the upper portion of the, of the atmosphere because we haven't turned toward 
the the source of the meteor is that the the radiant will lie on the horizon or actually below the horizon and from that position they can't penetrate deep into the atmosphere they can just skim the upper portions so instead of seeing meteors that are that are you know, sub-second you know these will last sometimes three four five seconds and shoot the uh, half or even 75 percent of the, the sky they're very long very long lasting and they're, they're very spectacular hmm. now a lot of them if you're facing nice a lot of them will tend to hug either the northern or the southern horizon but if you get lucky you may see one shoots shoot high in the sky and they're really spectacular uh, i remember observing from mountaineer barstow one year for the geminids and oh. just as just as soon as it got dark every five minutes we were seeing in one of these and it was just fantastic <laughs> so um, this may be a good year to concentrate uh, on them as the radiant gets higher in the sky later in the evening the meteors will be able to penetrate deeper into the atmosphere therefore they become shorter and they will you know go back to lasting only a, a second or even a half a second so that's so that's the main main uh, reason that we don't only see them when the radiant lies close to the horizon okay all right are there any other meteor showers this time of year that you want to chat about well sure um while you're watching the geminids uh there's also several one one notable one is uh from the constellation of puppets uh this again produces slow meteors and believe it or not, I think it was from the, the constellation of Puppus that I actually heard my only meteor. Really? Uh, this, this was during the Gemini shower one year, and we had this meteor shoot up from the southern horizon, go overhead, and it, it was a fireball, and we were just wowed for that. And a minute later, we heard a sonic boom. Oh, my goodness. And... You know, our jaws dropped even further than they were for the for the fireball. <laughs> wow. Are, are there report are there more reports like with a fireball? Is there associated uh sonic booms usually? Yes. Yes. Uh it doesn't happen very often because those those have to penetrate deep into the atmosphere mm -hmm. for sound waves to, to carry. Sure. So so pro you know, less far less than one percent of the all of all the reports we receive actually ha uh, involve sound, but it does happen. And when it does happen and we get a lot of reports of sound, <coughs> excuse me, that's a good indication that it dropped meteorites. Ah. Okay. So, so as I said, I, I, you know, I've logged 50,000 meteors in my lifetime. Oh my goodness. That was the only one that you produced any, any kind of sound for me. Wow. So that, that, that one puppet meteor shower <laughs> that only, only produces one or two an hour is still remains special for me. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's amazing. You would think it would be the Leonids or something like that. Perseids, but wow, <laughs> that's wild. It is wild. Speaking of the Leonids, um, oh. earlier in the uh, the fall season, they, uh, the Leonids do uh, are active. And, um, you know, I wasn't really crazy about uh, discussing them because it coincides with the last quarter moon, mm -hmm. which isn't terrible. But the last quarter moon is in November is located 
usually really close to the sickle of Leo, and, and that's where the that's where the uh, radiant of Leonids lies. Oh. So, I re- I remember the two thousand uh, Leonids, which was between the two storms in nineteen ninety nine and two thousand one. Nothing crazy was predicted that year, but still, uh, getting back from Spain and seeing a uh, thousand an hour. Wow. Um, you know you. You, you didn't want to miss it to something to, just just in, just in case it happened but the circumstances were very similar then the last quarter of the moon was right in the sickle of leo and i hardly saw anything no. <laughs> so that was a major disappointment but uh actually there are predictions of slight enhancements this year so uh, i wouldn't write the leonids off uh, totally but uh, for north american observers on the nights of both november 17th and 18th um i would watch the leonids and these uh these normally don't last long the rates are predicted to increase from a normal of maybe five to ten an hour for the leanas this this year to upwards of maybe even 50 for a very short time so um it is it's predicted to happen most of these never do happen but i'd like to make our listeners aware of the possibilities so uh during the early morning hours of November 17th into the 18th and the 18th into the 19th. Uh, it all, all depends where you're observing from. The East Coast folks can concentrate on the 18th, 19th, whereas us on the West Coast should start watching at midnight on the 17th, 18th, and the 18th and 19th of November. Okay. Uh, Leo rises shortly before then. So, uh, like... Um, like the Geminids, you may see some Earth grazers, mm-hmm. but uh, folks in the East Coast are, will be better situated. The radiant at that time will be higher in the sky. Uh, you don't want to look at the radiant with the moon there, but uh, face toward your darkest uh, darkest location uh, uh, you know, away from the moon. So I would put the moon at your back, and hopefully there's not a street light in that direction, <laughs> which, which tends to be a bummer. So. Uh, but uh, there's always a possibility, uh, just like our uh, our little outburst we had the last of May with the Ta Hercules. Uh, that was one of the few that actually came through and produced a good display. Right, that's true. So uh, the uh, the the comet that's responsible for the Leonids is heading back toward the inner solar system. Huh? But uh, but these. These debris that may show up this year are uh, associated with with returns that happened two, three hundred years ago. So, uh, has nothing to do with the comet approaching the uh, the solar system right now. So, uh, they're 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 from uh, trails laid down long ago. Hmm. I think that's but, fascinating. But still, it, it's interesting that uh, you're seeing debris that passed the inner solar system, say, in 1799. And, uh, you know, it just so happens that uh, the timing is, is right, that we pass close to it again 300 years later. So, and uh, it, it, it's just, 
something you uh, you know don't don't want don't want to pass up, uh, especially yeah. if it's clear. Yeah, you'll never forgive forgive yourself if something happens. Yeah. Now, now, what you, we we've talked in the past about you know visual observations of meteor showers, but what if somebody wants to try their hand at photography? And the nice thing is you don't need a telescope. And you Very really don't true. need a telephoto lens. You just need a wide field lens, something like that, or Very probably true. a standard 50 millimeter lens would be fine. That's a good one. And I, I actually have used a 28 millimeter, which offers a little wider field. Mm -hmm. It's not quite as fast as, as, as your 50 millimeter, but uh, I like that wide field, uh, gives you a better chance to, uh, to uh, nail a meteor and uh, going back to the geminids with, with the, with the bright moon uh, be a great opportunity for landscape slash sky photos yeah. and, and, and to have uh, have something like a mountain peak and a meteor streaking right above it. you know, with a peak being illuminated by the moon, that's, uh, that's always cool. And those images you, you'd welcome too to be submitted to the media. Oh, section. certainly, yeah. certainly. Just date, uh, date, time, location, and sky conditions. You betcha, you betcha. So uh, even even when the moon's out, uh, the geminids offer a, a great opportunity uh, for photography. Oh, great. The 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 uh, one one other thing about the Geminids versus the Leonids, Leonids uh, encounter the Earth at a head-on position, and rarely last more than a second. I mean, they're here and gone when in the blink of an eye. Oh. Geminids Geminids are slower and bright and very photogenic. So uh, definitely, if uh, if you'd like to uh, set up a camera during the Geminids, I I would encourage it. Hey, you really don't need a, a, a motor drive for it either. I mean, let's put a camera on a tripod and open the shutter. For right. A few minutes. Right. Uh, your stars will trail, but you can always tell a meteor yep. because it, it will cross all those. Uh, the, the, the star trails are always curved and meteors are always straight. So very easy to tell the, tell the difference. Very cool. Now, and at, many, at, oh, go on. I'll go, no, you go ahead. <laughs> I, I was going to move. I was just say, how many active observers do you have in the meteor section? Well, I would say at the moment it's it's about a dozen, okay, and uh, a couple of those have just joined uh, after listening to our, po our podcast. Oh, so fantastic! So uh, we welcome them and uh, beginning regular observation from them. There's one guy I'd like to recognize though, and his name's Robert Hayes. He's been a longtime member of ALPO. Yes, he has. And he has been quite prominent in just not the meter section, but all sections, especially the lunar section. He draws uh, he draws craters and highlights on the moon. And uh, I've seen his work for years in mm -hmm. the Strolling Astronomer. And uh, he doesn't own a computer, so uh, mm. I, I have to have to write to him. But I, I, I wrote to him recently and, uh, and, and let him know that he's, he was a major topic during uh, a past ALPO conference. <laughs> oh, cool. So uh, I, I want him to let him know that his work is really appreciated. But he's been uh, sending uh, data to the meteor section for years. And Robert, if you ever listen to one of these uh, podcasts, <laughs> uh, we uh, all appreciate you, no matter which section you contribute to. Yeah, I've seen I've seen his lunar drawings in the past, and he's excellent. He's really he, good. Really excellent. And 
to to go through the uh, Sterling astronomers and and see some of the sketches that are in there, you just got to scratch your head and say, "Wow!" I mean, such talent and, and such patience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, before I got into photography, uh, I would I would draw Jupiter, and uh, I look at those now and laugh. My God, you know, <laughs> what what a, what a waste! <laughs> I, I run that training program, and people join it and think it's something they can go through rapidly and the average student takes about 18 months to get through the program most and definitely I, and i and i and i scan all the drawings they send me and when they get near graduation i'll show them their first few drawings i'll go oh my god <laughs> you know it, it's it's amazing this, it it's is. just your eye to the eyepiece and the more you observe the better you see you will see more and more detail with which yeah. which with each session that's right and and you know, after years of doing it, you'll you'll see something that uh, a newbie will go up. So he's like, "Oh, I, I don't oh, don't see that." But yeah, mm -hmm. you you train yourself to see these minute and low contrast details, and uh, it it certainly pays off. Yeah, it's not a thirty second glance to the eyepiece. You're studying the object you're looking at. Most most definitely, yeah. and and, the, and then these guys that still submit uh, drawings are, are amazing mm -hmm. and, and I applaud them. Um, I've, I've chickened out long ago. I, mm -hmm. I joined the video, uh, <laughs> group and now I'm taking 3000 frames uh, of, of, of Jupiter and Mars and or whatever. <laughs> I haven't seen those published. Where, where are those at? Oh, actually, um, the Mars section has, has a few, uh, oh, okay. You know, to be honest, uh, I, I see these ones published by guys like Damien Peach and wow. Christopher Christopher Go, and I look at mine and I compare mine to theirs, and oh boy, they uh, they don't they don't compare. Those two guys are the reason I don't do imaging. <laughs> I'll download their images and stare at them, but I won't. I, yeah, I, yeah. I've got all the photo equipment, but it's like, yeah, I'd rather have my eye to the eyepiece than a camera. Their uh, their work is so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, are. I mean, it it rivals Hubble when when they yep. that first arrived on the scene. Yep. I mean, so you know what? I I have submitted interesting things that I've seen. Okay. Uh, to to Richard and to our our guys in the uh, the Mars section. In fact, I just submitted a picture of a, a dust storm on Mars. Oh, good. Uh, that's yeah, going on. One, that's one going, going on, on right, right now. now. Yeah. So. Uh, and if I ever get any clear skies here, I'd uh, do it again. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we are at the mercy of the weather. So that's true. Well, Bob, this has been good. You have anything else you'd like to add before? You yeah, again? I'd like, I'd like to add that 2022 has been kind of a, a, a challenge. The moon's not cooperated and certainly the weather has been a challenge for a lot of folks, but 2023, at least for media observers is, is going to be sweet because only two showers, the quadrants and the, uh, the eight Aquarius are mooned. The rest of them are, are going to be peaking during the new moon. Ah. So uh, I look forward to uh, observing and discussing them in 2023. Sounds like a plan. Well, Bob, again, it's always been a pleasure having you on the podcast. My pleasure and clear skies to everyone. All right.
Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast. I again want to thank Bob Lunsford for coming on and talking about meteor showers. Get out there and observe the meteor showers. They're a lot of fun. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really, really do appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, Spotify, and also on the ALPO YouTube page. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support. The link for Tron, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net, or you can get me on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.